Well, it's good to be, uh, to be back with you. Uh, we were away last week. Uh, we had uh, some time in Armidale catching up with uh, family up there, which was uh, a great time. But it's good to be back. It's great to, uh, to gather together as God's people. And uh, we've been back for, for nearly a week now. I uh, got back last, late last Sunday night. And uh, I don't know about for you, but for, for me, New Year's is, is, uh, is often, it's often seen as a time of, of hope, of positivity and, and anticipation. It's, it's a time of a fresh start, of uh, new beginnings, new resolves. I wonder if anyone's uh, made any New Year's resolutions, any New Year's resolutions that anyone's going to say, yes, I, I wonder how you're going eight days in, we're uh, still going strong or... Maybe you've wised up, and uh, I, don't, um, I don't tend to make New Year's resolutions as such, but for me it is a time of, it kind of feels like a blank slate, and it feels like a time to, to, to start again at, at, uh, at things and, and, a, and a fresh start. Maybe that's the case for you. Or maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe New Year's is actually not really a time of hope and anticipation. Maybe it actually brings a, a heaviness, a, a weariness, uh, con- just a continuation of the, the burdens of life. Maybe you're facing pain or loss or grief. Maybe you're struggling with failure, with sin. Maybe this New Year's is a time of positivity and hope, or, or maybe it's just, maybe that's just a veneer that masks a reality that's far from rosy. I don't mean to depress you all with a kind of New Year's bar humbugitis or something like that. But really, I want to just acknowledge that maybe life is hard. Often life is hard. And maybe that's the case for you. Whatever the case, uh, Micah chapter 7 is a good part of God's word for us to hear as we face this new year. It, it doesn't paint things in a uh, kind of you know, rosy picture of things. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's, pretty, it's actually pretty bleak. So you might have just uh, picked up as, as I read through that. But what this chapter in God's Word does for us is, firstly, it gives us a reality check about ourselves. And secondly, it points us back to the stunningly glorious character of our God. And this is exactly what we need. So look with me, Micah chapter 7. I hope you've you've got your Bibles open. Uh, The the passage will also come up on the screen as we go through. Uh, But as as I just said, this doesn't paint a a rosy picture of things. Things were pretty bleak. In Micah's day. And as he, he starts writing, he's not feeling upbeat and positive about the new year. He actually starts by saying, What misery! What misery is mine! In verse 1. Then he paints this, uh, this picture of the situation that he and his people are facing. He, he says he's like a harvester going out to, to gather in the summer fruit. And so he goes to the vineyard, but he finds no grapes there. He goes to the fig trees, but there's no figs. There's no harvest. It's just desolate. Now, what's he talking about? He's actually not complaining about a bad fruit season. Verse 2 explains. He says, The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. It's like empty vines or empty trees at harvest. There's no one in the land who is faithful, who is upright. Everyone just looks out for themselves. They look out for what they can get for themselves. He continues in verse 2. He says, Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other with nets. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. Kind of sounds like something out of the Hunger Games, doesn't it? 
everyone looking out to take down the others to save their own neck. Apologies if you don't know what I'm talking about. The Hunger Games is um, it's a series of books which became movies involving a death match with 24 people out to, to kill all the others and be the last person standing. It's pretty gruesome, isn't it? I don't know if in Micah's day if they were literally hunting each other with nets, but it, it paints this picture, doesn't it? It's, it's destructive, it's self-centred chaos. And corruption is reigning there. Verse 3 says the ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. The leadership in the land is corrupt. There's extortion, there's bribes. And instead of the place being like a a vineyard full of fruit-producing vines and trees, Micah says, verse 4, the best of them is like a briar. The most upright, worse than a thorn hedge. You know, you read that and you think, gee, I'm pretty glad I don't live in Micah's day. I mean, it sounds, it sounds pretty terrible. And indeed, we have, we have much that we can be thankful for. We enjoy a relatively high degree of peace and order and security. We have much to be thankful for. And yet, if you, if you scratch below the surface, actually, it, it, we're not all that different. You don't have to scratch far below the surface to see a similar brokenness, self-centeredness, even injustice and corruption. And life for us can be, can be more like briars and thorn hedges than lush grapevines and fig trees. Because like the people of Judah, all too often we are sinful. Our sinful hearts turn against God and seek to do things our own way. And that damages us, it damages others, it, uh, it damages most significantly our relationship with God and it turns us into briars and thorn bushes. And this is what was going on for Judah. And the situation had gone on long enough that God said he was bringing things to a head. He was bringing judgment on them. Look at verse 4, halfway through. It says, The day God visits you has come. The day your watchmen sound the alarm. Now is the time of your confusion. Now back, uh, back then it, uh, a city would have watchmen standing guard and they'd be watching for, for oncoming threats such as an invading army. And when that day arrived, they would sound the alarm throughout the city. Micah says, that day has arrived. God's judgment has come upon them in the form of the invading forces of Assyria. And with the the panic that, that that brings, it's a time of great confusion and betrayal. No one can be trusted because everyone is, is just out for themselves, trying to save their own neck. See there, verse 5, he says, Do not trust a neighbour. Put no confidence in a friend. Even with the woman who lies in your embrace, guard the words of your lips. For a son dishonours his father. A daughter rises up against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the members of his own household. As God comes in judgment, this brings, brings divisions even amongst members of a family. Now, the coming of Jesus brought these same divisions. In Matthew's account of Jesus' life, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, Jesus quotes this passage from Micah 7. Jesus said, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn 
A man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be of the members of his own household. He quotes Micah 7. Then he continues, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. They're heavy words, aren't they? Now, it's not saying that Jesus set out intent on breaking up families. But he does rightly call on people to acknowledge and love and follow him first. And as some people do that, as they accept Jesus, and other people refuse to accept Jesus, well, even within the same family, this will bring inevitable divisions. The beginning of Micah 7 paints a, a horrible, bleak picture, a picture of, of barrenness, of faithlessness, of selfishness, of corruption, judgment, confusion, betrayal. It's bleak and it seems hopeless, which is why verse 7 is just so stunning. Because there is hope. In my Bible, verse 7 is on the next page. You you turn the page to get to verse 7, and it's like turning to a new page of hope. Micah says, But, but, as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Saviour. My God will hear me. There is hope. There is hope with the Lord God. And Micah watches and he, he waits for God, his Saviour. He knows God will hear him. Their enemy, the Assyrians, they may have been boasting in their victory, but Micah says, verse 8, he says, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because Micah understands what's going on. He understands the real reason that they've fallen. It's, it's not because of the might of Assyria. It's verse 9, because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. He knows they're being punished because of their sin and he acknowledges his own sin. He doesn't deny it, he doesn't downplay it, he doesn't continue to, to defy God. He acknowledges his sin and he looks to the Lord for salvation because he knows that this judgment will end. He says, verse 9, because I've sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. He knows there'll be salvation beyond judgment. That he'll go from sitting in darkness to being brought into the light of God's righteousness. Now, this is, of course, a a, a prelude to to the salvation that Jesus brings. Jesus said in John 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Yes, our sin is destructive. Our sin matters. Our sin inevitably brings judgment. But God is a God of salvation and he will save his people. And as he saves his people, he will also judge his enemies. As Micah says in verse 10, 
Then my enemy will see it as God's righteousness and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will, will see her downfall. Even now she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets. Or, or skip down to verse 15. It says, as in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders, says God. Nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all their power. They will put their hands over their mouths and their ears will become deaf. They will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of you. Yes, God will bring salvation to his people, but also judgment to his enemies. Now, I said earlier that Micah, um, Micah gives us a reality check about ourselves, which it does because that barrenness, that faith, faithlessness, that selfishness, corruption, confusion, betrayal, that, that, that's all around us because that's in us. We are the problem. I am the problem. You are the problem. And we need Micah's reality check to recognise that, to accept that. So that as we sit in darkness, we realise we're in the darkness and that we need the Lord in his righteousness to bring us into the light, which is what he will do. Because here's the second thing that Micah does for us in chapter 7, that is he points us to the stunningly glorious character of our God. Look at verse 18 with me. He says... Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. He says, who is a God like you? you are, the Lord shows us uh, grace. He pardons sin. He forgives transgression. He delights to show mercy. We don't deserve that, but he delights to give us mercy. And in Jesus, that's what he does. He removes and deals with our sin. And Psalm 103 verse 11 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love. For those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So friends, as we, as we head into this new year, with its hopes and aspirations, or maybe its difficulties and fears, we can and we must look to God to be our saviour. To pardon us, to, to forgive us, to show us mercy. Because that's what he delights to do. And we can and we must look to God to be our shepherd. To pray to him as Micah does in verse 14. Shepherd your people with your staff. The flock of your inheritance, which lives by itself in a forest in fertile pasture lands. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in days long ago. It's this great picture of God's provision and protection for his people as, as he cares for them, as he, he leads them and protects and provides for them. Just as our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, does for us. He says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. 
I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is our shepherd. Well, let me give a few implications for us as, uh, from this part of God's word as we, we head into the new year. Whether it seems hopeful or horrible, whether it seems awesome or awful. What should we do? Well, firstly, we should recognise our sin and repent of our sin. I think it can be easy for us to, uh, to harden our hearts to the sin that's, that's in our lives, to just turn a blind eye to it, to excuse it, to justify it, to deny it. Uh, our human hearts are, have an extraordinary capacity for tolerating and, and, and denying our own sin. And we need the, the reality check that comes from opening God's word. We need it, the reality check that actually tells us that we need to repent. We need to recognise our sin. To recognise and admit that we do fall short. As we prayed earlier, we have, not got, sorry, we have gone our own way, not loving God as we ought, nor loving our neighbours as ourselves. We have sinned against him in thought and word and deed and in what we have failed to do. We need to continue to recognise and repent of our sin. Keep praying the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins. As we forgive those who sin against us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the first implication. Recognise and repent of our sin. But secondly, as we, are, as we read and reflect on God's glorious character, as we do here, the end of Micah 7, we should marvel at his extraordinary mercy towards us. That through Jesus, he, he pardons our sin that he forgives our transgressions, that he delights to show us mercy. We should rejoice in that and rest in that, in his goodness to us, his, his kindness to us in Jesus. He is faithful to his promises. If we turn to him in repentance and trust, he graciously forgives us. He welcomes us into his family. He is with us. He is for us. He gives us his spirit to be with us. And so thirdly, we should pray that he would lead us and shepherd us. He is our shepherd. And so we should listen to his, vo- his voice, his word, and follow his word. That's what sheep do. They hear the voice of the shepherd and they follow the shepherd. That's what we should do. Ask God to be our shepherd, to follow him, to listen to his word. This, uh, this little part of Micah 7, tucked away in the Old Testament, the end of, end of the book of Micah, it lifts our eyes to see God's extraordinary gracious character. And it calls us to recognise and repent of our sin, but to rejoice and rest in God's glorious mercy. That he pardons our sin, that he forgives our transgression, that he delights to show us mercy and that he leads and protects and guards us as our shepherd. We can say with Micah, who is a God like you? Let's pray. Our Father God, we do thank and praise you for your glorious character, for your gracious plan of salvation in Christ. 
Oh Lord, who is a God like you? Father, forgive us, we pray, for the times that that we are like briars and thorn hedges. Forgive us for our faithlessness, our selfishness, our corruption. And Father, thank you that despite our sin, that you love us and that you delight to show mercy. And that through Jesus and his death for us, you have dealt with our sin once for all. That you have hurled all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Father, we pray and ask that you would lead us, lead us to repent of our sin, to continue to repent of our sin. Draw us back to your glorious character, your glorious mercy. And please shepherd us as your flock. Father, as we look at this new year before us, we ask that you would lead us, that you would teach us from your word. Please correct us when we wander. Please grow us in godliness. That we would live to trust and honour and follow you through our precious Lord Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.